If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, the scripture we're looking at today is in your bulletin on the inside back cover. There's a place to take notes there as well. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 today. But just to make sure we have the context, we're going to start our reading in verse 2. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2, I'm sorry, yeah, verses 2 through 7. Friends, listen, this is God's word. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as, my, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is God's Word. Well, in this series called Embracing Your Mission, we've been looking at how to embrace our mission to disciple others. And this series is for everyone. It's for everyone, whether you're officially discipling other people or not. Um, These are values that make all of us a good influence on other people. And if you put this series into practice, in whatever relationships you have, you will be discipling other people. Okay, so discipleship isn't just for Pauls, right? It isn't just for older people who know everything, okay? It's for all of us. It's for all of us. Because when you put this into practice, you'll actually be someone that God uses to help other people to know Jesus, to follow him and deepen their relationship with him. And so where have we been? This is where we've been so far. How do you disciple someone else? Really two ways, prayer and presence, right? You pray for them first and then you spend time with them. It's really that simple. It's that simple. But, you know, in fact, I recently heard, I want to tell you the story because I want this to happen over and over and over and over and over again, um, that after one of our Sunday services, um, a guy went up to another friend and asked him, hey, can we spend time together? Can we just spend time together so we can talk about how to help each other grow? The other guy said, yeah, let's do that. And so now they're walking together in the evenings, um, spending time talking about things that matter. That's it. Like, this is what we need. We need relationships where we're praying for each other and we're spending time together. Now, the question is, when you're together, what do you do? This is what we've been looking at the last two weeks, and then we're going to finish it today. Uh, You affirm them when you're together, and you also say the hard things. Okay, so in affirmation, you're saying, here's what I see in you that's good. With the hard things, it's, here's what I see in you that needs to change. Right? Or, hey, how are you doing in the areas where you want to change? Right? That's what discipleship is. And so, for us now today, as we finish this series, the big question for us is, how do I move from seeing other people's problems to helping them grow? Okay? In some ways, it's kind of easy right, to be able to, <laughs> I know the problems that everybody has around me, right? I know what issues you have. I can tell you all about them, right? Let's get together so I can tell you how much I think you need to change. Um, That doesn't go very far, right? 
It doesn't go very far unless you know, how do I help somebody to actually grow? Right? That's the question. Um, it's one thing to be able to say the hard things. It's something entirely different to have the tools, to have the knowledge of how do you actually help somebody to grow. You can make a difference in the areas where they struggle. And that's the question that we want to answer. And what we're going to see in this verse, this is the first blank in your outline, is that our words can give others gospel power. Our words, your words, in relationship, you can say things that can actually give other people gospel power. Okay, we're going to talk about what that is. The gospel changes everything. Okay, the good news of Jesus changes everything. Okay, you might not understand how that works, right? That, that sounds like a, a slogan, right? It sounds like a tagline for a church. Um, and it sounds like one of those things that if you're not... Uh, it could be easily spoken without understanding, and then you sort of like assume that everybody else knows what that means, and nothing ever happens, right? If the gospel changes everything, then why is my life the way it is, right? And, and part of discipleship is learning how to help people understand the gospel so that it can change everything. And when we learn, I mean, the gospel is, so here's the gospel. The gospel is the news, Right? It's this announcement of news that Jesus came into the world to save us from sin. Right? He came into the world to save us from sin. And when we learn how this news affects our lives, our words can give power. Our words can actually bring out spiritual life from other people. I mean, think about that. The things that you say can bring life from a dormant heart. That's what Paul is doing in verse 7 here. After telling Timothy the hard thing, after telling Timothy that he needs to fan into flame his gift, right? He needs to rekindle the fire in his life. In this verse, he's showing Timothy how. He's talking about how. Paul shares the gospel with Timothy in two points that we're going to see. The first point here, the point Paul makes is that fear is not from God. Okay, fear is not from God. That's what the verse says. Look at verse 7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. Not of fear. And so here's Paul beginning to remind Timothy the gospel. He's reminding Timothy of this gospel truth that you know what? God gave us a spirit. God gave us a spirit. And the spirit he's talking about here, this is the Holy Spirit. Right? It's God's Holy Spirit. When we believe, when we put our faith in Jesus, one part of the good news, one part of the gospel, is that God gives us his Holy Spirit. This is part of what Christ does in us. Right? There's things he does for us, where he forgives us and accepts us as righteous in his sight, where he adopts us into his family, but this is something that Jesus does in us. He actually comes near, so near, that he gives his own spirit to us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have his presence. Right? Think about um, there are people in your life, and when they're around, their presence affects you. Right? Sometimes it can make you a lot better than you normally are. Sometimes it can make you a lot worse than you normally are. But there's people in your lives whose presence affects you. And Paul is reminding Timothy that God gave him a spirit. Gave him the Holy Spirit. 
And then he begins to describe this Holy Spirit. He says this Holy Spirit is not of fear. The Spirit that dwells in you isn't filled with fear. Okay? Fear is not from God. Okay? Fear is not from God. Timothy, as we read about him, he seems to have been prone to live in fear. Timothy was a bit timid. Um, He was afraid to lead. Timothy was afraid to step out and do what God was calling him to do. He had this calling. He had a job to pastor a church. He had a job to step out and to remind people of truth, and it was hard for him. It was difficult for him. He was afraid to step out and do what God was calling him to do. Does that describe you in any way today? Are you afraid to step out and do what God's calling you to do? Timothy seemed afraid of being rejected by others. Seems to have been afraid to stand out against the crowds. And it's this fear that has caused his fire to go out. And so what Paul tells Timothy is this fear, Timothy, this fear that I know is in you is not from God. This fear is not from God. In fact, this fear is telling you a story that's a lie. Friends, living in fear is a sin. Okay, to live in fear is to sin, and to say that is not to pile on. Right? I'm not trying to pile on guilt that you might already feel because you have the sense that you're afraid and you know you're afraid and you're, you're not willing to step out. I don't say that living in fear is a sin to pile guilt on you. But you need to understand why. Once you understand why sin, why fear is a sin, you'll see why it's important to name it as sin. Okay? So let me tell you about the sin of fear. The sin of fear at the bottom, the very bottom of the sin of fear is that you hide. Okay? Sin causes you to hide. You hide who you are and you hide who God has made you to be. Are you with me? That's the sin that underlines fear. This is why the devil uses fear in us, because he wants to get us to not be who we are. The devil wants us not to live out who God has made us to be. Think about this. What does fear do to you? Fear shrinks us as people. The phrase cowering in fear, there's a a diminishing almost in your physical appearance when you're afraid. Sometimes we hide physically, right, when we're afraid. Fear makes us weak. Fear causes us to lose confidence. Fear moves us to get consumed with ourselves and our worry. And so fear makes us so insular Uh, that we isolate and we actually don't have any influence on others. We can't help other people when we're afraid. And so fear is this emotion that the devil uses to render us powerless. He uses fear to make powerless people who have God's own presence in them. really effective, isn't it? 
Think about this. God puts his own presence in us. God pours his spirit into us. He fills us with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and self-control. And yet we live in fear. And when we live in fear, those things don't come out. Those things don't characterize our lives. This was the fear that rendered powerless even Timothy. When we're afraid, right, when we're afraid of failing, when we're afraid of rejection, we're afraid of losing the approval of others, we're afraid of being embarrassed, that fear is not from God. That fear is not from God, and we shouldn't obey it or let it control us. Fear tells us a story from the devil who lies to keep us from doing anything. Okay? Here are the lies that go along with fear. You're not good enough. Right? That's a lie that coaxes our fears to grow. You're not good enough. Who are you? What you've done makes you disqualified. You're too bad. No one wants to follow you. You can't have an influence on anybody. Like, who are you trying to kid? You're the same person that you were before you started following Jesus. These are lies that the devil uses, that the devil whispers into our ears. Um, that sometimes the devil speaks through people in our families to us. Sometimes through work relationships, people that make us feel this way. These are lies from the devil that keep us from doing anything. And so again, Paul tells Timothy this, not to shame him, but to replace that story of fear with God's true story of the gospel. And that's our second point. That's our second point. Fear is not from God. And then second, God's story fills us with power. God's story fills us with power. Because look what the verse says. <clears throat> verse 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. This spirit that was pictured being poured out in abundance over Jessa today. This spirit that is poured out on all people who have been baptized. When you trust in Jesus, God pours his spirit out on you and that drenches you with love and power and self-control. That is Paul's description. That is the Holy Spirit that's given to you. If you want to know what God is doing in your life, he is giving you love and power and self-control. That's God's work in your life. That's the story. This is another story that God's love brings a powerful love that conquers fear. God brings a powerful love that conquers fear. And the question for us then is, how do you know that this story is true? Because when I walk in my fear, yeah, it's actually right. Sometimes I don't feel very different than I used to be. Sometimes I don't think I'm better than anybody else. Sometimes I don't think that I'm growing at all. Right? Sometimes I don't think I'm worthy to make a difference in anybody else's life. Right? That story feels kind of true to me, doesn't it? 
So how do we know this story is true? This story that, God, that you have a spirit if you're trusting in Jesus, right? That brings power and love and self-control, right? Because what if I'm not feeling it? I don't feel power right now. I feel pretty weak. So maybe this story isn't true. I think that's how Timothy was feeling. It's why Timothy's fire died out. So again, how do you know that this story is true? It's because of the gospel. It is true, first and foremost, not because of anything that you've experienced, but it's true, first and foremost, because God came to earth and conquered fear. Okay? You get excited and you feel built up by things that other people do. Okay, that happens if you are in any kind of a sports fan, right? When your team wins, you didn't do anything, but you feel good, right? <clears throat> in the same way, Jesus came as our representative. That's what it meant to be the Messiah. He came to represent the human race. When we follow him, we say, Jesus, you are ours. We're following you. And what's true of Jesus then becomes true of us. So Jesus came throughout his whole life. He never shrunk from fear. Jesus never cowered. Jesus never backed down. Jesus felt the fear of rejection. He felt afraid to go to the cross. But Jesus never wavered from his purpose. Like you need to understand, this is part of the good news, is that where we failed, Jesus didn't fail. His entire life, he faced his fears head on. I mean, even when he was faced with the awful fear of being forsaken by God on the cross, Jesus showed power and love and self-control. Right? Jesus showed power over his fear that he would take on the wrath of God against the sin of the world. He showed love for a world that he would save by his sacrificial death and self-control to accept this mission in life and to see it all the way through. And then in his resurrection, Jesus was victorious. Jesus entered the blackest night of sin and death and judgment and fear for us. And he was raised in the light of that first Easter morning. Man, this is the gospel. And the spirit that enabled Jesus to show power and love and self-control, God gave you when you believed in him. That same spirit that enabled Jesus to conquer fear is now in you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, when you believe, this is the spirit that God gives you. And it changes you. Jess had told us herself, she knows her heart is getting bigger. Right? That's the love of the spirit that's in her. The spirit is the power and the love of God that changes us. You know, you know, we talk a lot about the love of God, but we often don't take it seriously. God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. It's, it feels like sometimes we know that truth and we put that truth up on a mental shelf. 
It's up in the attic or it's in the garage. And maybe, I don't know, once, twice a year, maybe something really bad happens, then we'll go out to the garage and we'll pull it out and we'll remind ourselves of this truth, right? We don't apply this as we should. Sometimes we forget it, but I think that we believe it, but we don't know how to bring it into reality. We don't know how to make it make a difference in our lives, this idea that God loves us. But that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Paul's telling Timothy that it's God's presence that's the key to him changing his life. Here's a verse that helps us understand this. 1 John 4.18. This is the Apostle John describing something very similar to what Paul is saying in this verse. He says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So the idea here is that you're controlled by fear, right? You're living in fear. You're afraid to do something. You're afraid to do what God wants you to do. You're afraid of being rejected. You're afraid of failing. And the more you sort of give in to your fear, the more the fear grows. But what John is telling us here is that when you invite God into the room with you and your fear, that fear runs away. Runs away. And this has been a powerful tool in my own life. A powerful tool. The idea that, like, so what does it mean to actually be in the room with your fear? Right? It means to actually be honest about what you're afraid of. And I would invite you to do this. When fear gets a grip on you, when fear controls you, you want to get to a place in prayer, if you want to write it down, and, and just write out, what am I afraid of? And write out the worst case scenario. I'm afraid that no one is going to like me. I'm afraid that people are going to leave the church. I'm afraid the church is going to die. I'm afraid that if we join the sites, everyone's going to get upset. No one's going to be happy. And everything's going to be gone. And I'm going to be thought of as a failure. I'm afraid that if I speak up, this person's not going to be my friend anymore. I'm afraid that if I say the hard things that I know this person needs to hear, that they're going to reject me. I'm afraid of doing the right thing at work because if people think about me the wrong way, then I'm going to get ostracized and my career might be in jeopardy. Uh, yeah, right? I mean, so you want to just be honest about whatever it is you're afraid of, okay? And so as clearly as you can describe the worst case scenario, okay, be honest with your fears. And then, I mean, literally what I like to do is I like to picture myself sitting in a room at a table you know, and here I am drawing this fear and it grows bigger and bigger and blacker and uglier and more horrific, right? And then I say, Jesus, will you come in to this room with me, please? And I just picture Jesus walking into the room, sitting down at the table. And at this point, Jesus doesn't have to say anything to me. <laughs> because when Jesus walks in, I realize, wait a second, this isn't just Jesus, but this is the God who loves me and cares for me and has been with me in everything that I experience. This is Jesus who is stronger than my fear. This is Jesus who can get me another job. This is Jesus who will honor me if I do the right thing. This is Jesus who will take care of me no matter what. He has pledged that. And what's amazing is that when he walks in, if I forget that, what Jesus does when he walks in is he waves, and I see the nail print in his hand. 
And I know, I know how much he loves me. And when Jesus comes into the room with my fear, my fear shrinks. It becomes a little bit of a comedy sort of scene um, because I, I laugh at the fear first and I think, man, I thought you were so big, but compared to Jesus, you're nothing. Compared to Jesus, he is stronger than you are. He's more powerful than you are. He loves me. He's not going to abuse me and ravage me the way you do. When I live by you, nothing good happens. But when I live with him, it's not that everything works out, but he's with me and that makes it worth it. So I laugh at the fear. Then I laugh at myself and I look at Jesus and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought he was so big. And then you come in and Jesus is like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. <laughs> why I'm here. There's no fear in love. When the love of God walks into the room with you and your fear, your fear runs. Your fear runs away. It's cast out. And I think some of you, maybe Jesus comes into the room and the fear doesn't shrink. You see Jesus and you think, all right, I know you love me, but this is still real to me. Friends, for you, when it says perfect love casts out fear, that's Jesus, okay? If you don't do this, Jesus will. He will go grab your fear and he'll throw it out of the room for you because he looks at you and he says, I love you. I am with you. There is nothing that can happen to you. I will always be with you. I will give you strength. I will give you power. And I will give you love. This is what he reminds us of over and over and over again. And when we have this love, this spirit of power and love and self-control, it makes us then strong enough to face suffering. It makes us strong enough to resist temptation. It makes us strong enough to be able to say the hard things, to do the right things. And the good news is that if you don't feel this now, you still have it. You still have it. What Paul is doing for Timothy is Paul is taking the fear that Timothy struggles with and he is applying the particular truths of the gospel that will meet his need. Okay? So Paul knows that Timothy struggles with fear, and so he gives him specific gospel truth, right? He's speaking gospel power into his life, and he's replacing the lie of fear um, with the story of the gospel, and the story of the love, and the power, and the self-control. That's exactly what Timothy needs. And so for us, as we think about discipling others, like we need this first for ourselves, but then, you know what? Other people around you need it. We need each other to remind us of this stuff. Sometimes we can get to a place where we know the truths of the gospel that will particularly meet our fears or our lust or our greed or our arrogance, right? But a lot of times we actually need someone else in our lives to remind us of what these things are. And so we want to get good at this, at doing what Paul does. Paul gives us an example of how to apply the gospel 
to the struggle with fear. As we mature, one of the things that we want to get good at, we want to learn um, how the gospel speaks to all other kinds of things. Right? How does the gospel speak to arrogance? How does the gospel speak to anger? How does the gospel speak to, um, to greed? Right? How does the gospel speak to manipulating other people? Right? Depending on what you are struggling with, there are different truths of the gospel that will apply. But at the bottom, right, at the bottom of all of this, the method of how to give others gospel power, I mean, it's really, there, there's two ways, okay? There's two ways to do this. One is, the first step is to believe the gospel, not the lie, okay? You have to believe the gospel, not the lie. There are two stories that are competing for control of your life. You need to believe the gospel and not the lie. And the second thing is that you need to be in discipleship. Okay? You need to be in relationships where you can talk about this stuff. Where someone knows you well enough to know what you're struggling with and they can remind you that, you know what? God has given you a spirit, not of this, but of this. Not of fear, but of love and power and self-control. And so... As you disciple others, as you think about being an influence on others, this is what you want to do, right? You want to teach other people. You want to help them to believe the gospel, not the lie. And then you want to remind them of the truths of the gospel that will replace the lie, the specific truths that will help them grow. And so, this is it. This is our series, right? How do you disciple someone else? Prayer and presence. And then what do you do when you're together? You affirm them, you say the hard things, and then you share the gospel. Now when I say share the gospel, I don't just mean that you tell people that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Although that's a great truth. But there's so much more to the fullness of the gospel. Right? Depending on what they're struggling with. It could be truth of Jesus and what he's done for them, or what he's done in them, or what he does through them. Right? And if you want to go deeper in terms of understanding that, we did six months of preaching on this last year on the fullness of the gospel. You can get the sermons on the website um, and you can learn more. And as you go back now and you look at the fullness of the gospel, you can say, oh, okay, here are the areas that these truths will speak to. Um, and this is how you do it. Death Valley is the hottest, driest place in America. Okay? Nothing grows there because it doesn't rain. Hence the name, Death Valley. Right? That's why they call it Death Valley, because nothing lives there. But in the winter of 2004, it rained seven inches over a very short period of time. So in the winter, seven inches of rain fell. A few months later, in the spring of 2005, there was a phenomenon the whole floor of Death Valley was carpeted in flowers. And it proved, actually, that Death Valley isn't really dead. It's just dormant. It's just dormant. Right beneath the surface are the seeds of possibility, the seeds of life waiting for the right conditions to come about. 
Friends, our spirituality can look a lot like Death Valley. But discipleship, being in relationship with each other, discipleship is the flood of God's presence and grace that brings us back to life. It brings the work of God to the surface of our lives. And so your words, the things that you say, affirming, saying the hard things, and encouraging with the gospel, your words are the rain. Right? Your words have the power to bring life, beauty, and color out of others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in our church family, we are all over this map. Some of us feel like Death Valley. Some of us uh, feel like we've seen fruit and flowers, we've seen some color, but it's been a long time. Others, Lord, we see the beginning sprouts of what's coming up. And Jesus, we, we come to you with grateful hearts. We come to you amazed that you would use our words, that you would speak through us to each other. Thank you for calling us to have the mission of bringing life out of each other. Thank you that this happens as people meet together, as people pray together, as people share with each other. Yeah, we see spiritual life blooming. Help us. Help us as men, as women, as, as children. Jesus, we want to follow you in this. We want to say yes to this. Yes to these kinds of relationships. And so help us. Thank you for the spirit that you've given us. It's not a fear, but it's a power and love and self-control. It's your power, your love, and your self-control. We remember that, and it's now causing a change in our own hearts. Let us walk in that change as individuals and as a church so that we would bring life out of each other. We pray this in your name. Amen.